0: Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Tarot, and today on the podcast, we have Kurt Willems as our guest to talk about his new book, Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Kurt is a pastor, a church planter, and a writer. And this new book looks at the humanity of Jesus. And it looks at what Jesus' humanity means for our identity as humans and how Jesus' humanity can redeem and transform our pain. So we're talking about emotions today. Jesus has emotions, Jesus understands our emotions, and this means that God understands and empathizes with our human existence on an emotional level. So Kurt, I'm super excited to talk about this book, to talk about how God enters into our emotions, how um, Jesus has experienced our pain. Um, So I'm excited just to get your perspective on all of these things, but first I wanna know what main question when you were were you trying to answer as you began writing this book? What prompted you to write this?
1: Laura, Scott, great to be with you. Um, Yeah, you know, this actually wasn't gonna be a book about pain. It's kind of marketed that way right now. (laughs) And it is definitely a book about pain now. But the first version Mm -hmm. of this was all about Jesus's humanity. So when I started, I think the question I had was really, how does the humanity of Jesus inform my discipleship. You know, how does His humanity invite me to become more human like He is human? And that that train of thought, if not unpacked in certain settings, is a bit subversive or can sound a little new-agey or whatever. And of course, um, I'm in good company and it doesn't come off that way here, but uh, I was excited about just exploring that particular theme. And the early feedback we got from a couple of publishers on that first version of this idea was we love once yeah. someone gets into the book, we love those ideas, super interesting. But where's the human connection mm-hmm. point to Jesus for the average reader? And, you know, I, I walked away a little disappointed at that point and uh, went back to the drawing board. And then the question became, okay, maybe they have a point, so what do I do with the human Jesus? And I was just sitting with it for a couple of weeks and pain just became the thing. And so now it's how does Jesus' humanity inform how we hold our pain, but also how we step into a pain-filled world. And if we can discern how Jesus did it, maybe we can discern how we can do that now with him.
2: Kurt, I heard uh, the the connection to pain because I was asked to look at this manuscript in the yeah. old version first time. So when yeah. the second one came along for the blurb, or was the blurb? Did I write a blurb?
0: <laughs> I wrote the forward. Okay, you wrote the forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I I thought well this is a different book. This is this is refocused it. This is one of the great things about editors. Um, I've learned a lot about. It about writing from editors who will who will push me on a point and I think if I give in on this point everything changes yeah and uh so going back to the drawing board you had in my opinion you had a good editor I I thought the book before was a good book I I'm interested in the humanity of Jesus and you had a little bit more of an abstract interest in the humanity of Jesus uh, but and and this book is not so much that direction, uh, right? But I I think the decision was a good one, and it's it's more relevant in that sense. It taps into uh, ordinary people. Hmm. I have I wrote this, Kurt. We need that real Jesus because we too suffer. We need a God who knows our suffering, not one who knows about our suffering, but one who knows what it's like to feel it a God who knows our suffering. Without that God, our pain is remote from our Creator. We become an abstraction from a God who only knows us in the way a drone peers into something out of range. But because of the real human Jesus, the one who suffered, God knows our pain firsthand. This, to me, is one of the most significant developments in The theology of the cross, Mm -hmm. in a theology of the Christian life, Michael Gorman's emphasis upon cruciformity. All of this comes into play here when we start talking about what you are saying is that Jesus' humanity was such, not that he, let's say, he understands, but that he knows Mm. and has experienced and becomes, uh, he comes into our world so that when we enter into pain, we know Jesus is not only um, empathetic. He's uh, I happen to like this word, empathy. So I like that you used it at the beginning. Um, that he, he has entered into our world so that we enter into sadness or pain. He's been there and he is now with us. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about this and why uh, Why you wrote about your own pain. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about your pain uh, mm. and then how this book has helped with you in that in that direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, Scott. I so much appreciate that exploration of that theme. And I've learned a lot. I mean, a lot of the ideas in here are... Scott McKnightisms and anti-rightisms and otherisms that have come up along the way about this theme that growing up, I uh, I like you, Scott, in a lot of ways was raised with the abstract God in the sky, Jesus, and not necessarily the human Jesus. And when when the human Jesus came up, it was for hardcore theological reasons or because it was cool to connect with. You know, he had bo. He 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 stunk. It was hard. You know, um, some people might have read a little bit of Philip Yancey and gotten a little deeper than that. At you know, in those '90s zone when I was in high school, I can remember some popular level work starting to get at some of these themes. But for the most part, it's God. We we need God to intervene and be with us when things go wrong. And and I agree with that to a large extent. But I also need, in Jesus, what I find, that God isn't aloof. God isn't distant. There is a God who, in order to show us how to be human, decided to become human Godself, self, right? And so God becomes human to show us how to be human so that we can become fully human. And, yes, and if we can yes. ride that train out, then my pain now has a space where I can look at the cross and say when i am suffering there's a god who not only gets it intellectually but really has stepped into the worst kinds of, kinds of experiences that anyone could ever imagine and and so that that foundational space then gave me the freedom to consider okay so where has this played out in my own story and where it's played out as multiple times in my life, but part of it was a childhood of absolute fear and uh, abuse and brokenness. And you know, I tell probably four or five stories from that season of my life in the book. And um, you know, this wasn't easy to do, in that you go back and these are memories that you know I've been I've been through therapy. I have a spiritual director. I've I've done some real important. Work in my life, um, but even coming back to some of these stories that have just kind of been sitting in the background, you know, it's not like I sit around and think of the good old you know the bad old days every day or something you you tend to go towards the good old days and uh, i there are moments where I had to step away from mm. the story halfway through typing it because it was just too much. Um, yeah, moments yeah. where real tears were shed, you know. One of the more recent stories that was hard that I reflect on, you know, they're not all from my childhood, was my, my dog passed away at the end of 2019, end of summer of 2019. And that was, well, she was my first pet. So this, this is profoundly difficult. I've got my other dog who's sitting here who is a year, a year younger and she's still with us uh, with all her challenges. Um, and I, I actually got to record the audiobook and i was in the studio doing that and that was a chapter where i broke i i cried through at least half of it at least i think i did and and to be really vulnerable right now i've uh, having uh, received the audiobook a, a couple of weeks in advance and you know i've got all these copies now the book's out now i decided to just listen to the audio since i've been in the text so much over the last year and a half and I listened all the way through chapter 13, and I have not pressed play on chapter 14, and that was about three weeks ago. I just haven't been able to do it yet. Um, and and I, I've given myself the grace to, because I'm super curious, like, how from a practical standpoint, how did I come off? Did I really wow. cry, or wow. did I just have tears and no one really can tell in the audio? Like, I have no idea. Um, and And I don't know that I get to know until I'm ready to just sit with a little bit more Things that are gonna feel, I'm gonna have to feel. You know, and, and what to build a bridge to all of that back to the human Jesus is this. If yeah, Jesus yeah. really feels the kinds of emotions that I feel when he steps into a broken world as the world's truest image bearer, then as I try and figure out what it means to reflect that image into the world, um, there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of resources spiritually speaking, and practically speaking, as we look at the New Testament, there's a lot of hope that, um, you know, not only the world as it is, isn't the world as it will be, but my life as it is, isn't my life as it will be. As I journey through these really hard things with an awareness that there is a a Jesus who not only gets it, but wants to get it with me, um, through me and in me. And that's, that's truly a gift.
2: Kurt, the, uh, I don't, have you seen the recent conversation where some in the, let's call them uh, the neo-reform crowd, I guess we can call them, sure, uh, who are against empathy? Have you seen some of this? Uh,
1: you know, I, so my, well, first of all, I know there's a whole Trinity discussion, which is also interesting, but I, yeah, I have a book that, I forget which publisher sent it to me. Maybe it was IVP, but it's like. Introdu- introducing Positive Psychology from a Christian Perspective, which is really like pro-empathy, pro a lot of these things. And then I guess there's some books and articles coming out that, to be honest, I don't keep keeping the loop on all of that, but that have been pretty much like that's that's kind of self-focused, that's like almost like another form of... Um, you know, um, narcissistic, therapeutic deism stuff. And I'm just like, no, like this is core gospel stuff. And you don't have to over-secularize it to get there. Um, so that that's all I know. So I don't know if that's what you're okay. well, tapping into, the, Scott. But
2: One of the things they're saying is that sympathy or compassion is to suffer with someone, whereas empathy is to enter into their feelings and to... Um, It has two dimensions to it it becomes irrational because it's so lost in emotion and it Hmm. crosses the border the boundary of let's say morality of entering into let's say someone's feelings about something that are inappropriate so Hmm. you know in my opinion there's there's no question where they're headed in some of these questions without even uh, having to bring it up but Wow. Um, you know, it's to begin with. I I question whether they should be defining the words that way because that's not what those terms mean in common sure. uh, conversation. It is true that if you uh, become, let's say, emotionally involved in a context, you might not be as reasonable as you need to be. Um, you know, you get involved in a little league baseball game and you get all hot and bothered because your <laughs> child struck out and you thought it was a ball, and you lose your reason. Okay, I, I get that. That's, that's yeah. not empathy. That's foolishness, or it's uh, a lack of control. So they're a little worried about that. But, Kurt, your book is really a theological, let's say, a pastoral exploration of incarnational theology, of the incarnation of Christ and its significance for us. And Mm -hmm. is not incarnation ultimately the entering into our life in its fullness? This is the Cappadocians. He became Mm -hmm. what we are so that we can become what he is. That Mm. is, I don't know if there's any better definition of empathy than that. And that is the heart of incarnation. So, so... Go ahead, you talk about incarnation. Oh, oh, what, do you think of, what do you think of this idea that your book is a pastoral explanation exploration of the doctrine of the incarnation?
1: That's exactly what it is. I mean, there's no doubt about it. In fact, man, I hear you describe and you know, here we are we're we're shooting a little off the cuff. I I haven't seen much about this material you're you're talking about, but it's like, man it feels like folks are so worried about identifying with the experience of others that it's like, we're going to stumble into sin accidentally or something yeah, as though yeah, God yeah. hasn't given us given us the gift of God awareness and self-awareness as we identify, you know. Um, but, but man, I, I would say that at its heart, this is incarnational theology um, through the grid of pain, that that is absolutely what i'm trying to do i'm trying i mean so much so as you know scott i part two forward in the book is the birth of jesus to the resurrection of jesus because i think it's so important that we know the kind of world jesus enters and the kind of world that jesus rises within you know that yeah. we're we're framing the story from incarnation to resurrection and of course you know i could have explored post-resurrection I just didn't do that in this book but the idea being that the the presence of the embodied Jesus is that focal point in history where God God's empathy expresses itself through incarnation there is no doubt about it yes. and and that empathy takes on a life and character that we can now look at and say that's how much God um God loves me. So yeah, I, I think I would just emphasize the the fact that uh God's empathy is on display from creation and new creation, and it's visibly on display from incarnation forward. And so there's so much to look at, not just in the act of um the kenosis, you know, this idea of God emptying God's self in in some form. And I I, I borrow from Michael Gorman in that section. I I just really think he helps frame that very well. Um, And, you know, this idea that uh, God does this all the way to the cross, and there's something profoundly relatable and profoundly encouraging in the midst of all of the mess we find ourselves in, that God didn't give up on the mess that god is so committed to reclaiming all of it that god's willing to enter it and feel it and experience its worst and and that to me there's just so many um so many hopeful miles we can drive down that road
2: okay i've got a couple more questions here i mean i i think this incarnation thing is i think in a sense incarnation is an abstract theological category and proposition Uh, loses the reality in that the reality Mm. is, uh, let's just say, my pain, my joy, uh, my loves, my desires, is that's where incarnation is a reality. Uh, It's, you know, to say, he became uh, like us so that we could become like him. Profound idea. But when you say, did Jesus know what it was like to experience shame at the hands of an authoritarian figure who attacked me as a teenager? You know, this my, one, of my yeah. little, one of my little league coaches in front of all the other kids on the team told me the only reason hmm. I was getting to play was because my father was a high school teacher and coach. Well, wow. I wasn't a bad athlete. In fact, I was the best one on the team. Uh, and hmm. he just was after me, but it was it was a humiliating experience that you have an adult with 13-year-old boys, and he's just railing on me. Uh, did Jesus know what that was like? That's incarnational theology. Now, mm-hmm. the, I have a question. Kurt, you're a pastor. Sometimes I look yep. at you and I think, well, where is he, the professor? Um, because you have, so <laughs> many, you have so many interests— in theological and you know you're reading the books and you're talking about the subjects a lot of pastors sure. don't do that they're just talking about numbers and offerings and buildings and stuff so um hmm. you're you're a pastor how does this book how does what you've learned in this book uh let's say change or shape your pastoral work
1: wow how ha- yeah how has it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, and and I would say this is the overflow of that stream of who I am in a lot of ways. And this was hard, Scott. I mean, I I, I have you talk about the professor part of me. You know, I I have battled these comp- what feel like and ha- early on in my ministry were even presented as competing. Uh, identity threads in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Are you the professor type or are you the pastor type? Which one are you gonna be? You know, and and uh one of the things that I have learned over the last, I would say only in the last few years, um is well first of all, I'm very comfortable in my own skin on this now. You know, I, I I'm I'm all about integrating, integrating these things. Um but when I when I think about the content here, um you know there's some stuff that people might say oh that's really heavy theological ideas coming out you know and i i try to write super down to earth and um man my first my first version of this which wasn't as good as and when i say first version of the actual echoing hope book um that i gave to my editor um after finishing my first draft had something like Ten thousand words of endnotes before I knew that that counted towards my total allowed. You know, because I was like, "Oh, I've got to if I'm going to write all popular, I need to give all the Bible nerds something on the in the back of the book." So I'm quoting scholars, and I I, it was over the top. I mean, I still have that, and maybe I'll release it for fun someday. But um you were proven. It it just gives you you an.
2: You were proven to people that you know what you're talking about. That's
1: that's what happens to well. Well, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. That, that means a lot, especially from, from someone I count a mentor. But I, I you know, I, I think what I've learned over the years is, first of all, it's okay to integrate these things. It's actually helpful, humanizing, and healthy if you can do it in a way that actually resonates with regular folks. Um, because I think we've had a, a deficient experience of Scripture— and and the life of God that pours out of the scriptures in a lot of the settings that um, folks have grown up in. And so, if we can re reinvigorate that joy of this is the world Jesus lived in, and notice how, yes, it's quite different, but it's also quite similar. If we can get people really thinking about that bridge from the first to 21st century, then incarnation starts to take on more meaning for the here and now. And and so, that's, that's really a big part of pastoring for me is like, okay, I know we're in progressive Seattle and it might feel like th- th- this is archaic and this doesn't fit, but let's build the bridge a little bit here because I think there's a lot about Jesus that's ahead of its time. There's a lot about the New Testament that's ahead of its time. I mean, my goodness, you mean Paul said things like, whatever is true, lovely, and admirable, you should think about these things? And now psychology is telling us that if we think about good things, we re- re- rewire our brains. I mean, it's just all over the place if we're willing to do that work. And so this book, as I sit with pain, knowing that people in my congregation and beyond are are going to be reading this thing, holding their pain, bringing their pain to it, it it's really this... Um, joy for me to imagine that the painful, broken things that I've walked through and the joyful, creative process that I've also walked through and trying to articulate it through the grid of Christ um, is something that could come along someone's coffee conversation and actually lead them towards, what if God's this much better? What if God Mm -hmm. is this much more for me and experiences my pain with me? you know? And and maybe that will propel me to want to experience the pain God experiences, which Mm. is everyone's pain. And how does that connect me to every human being that's ever lived? You know, it just goes further and further. Incarnation and and applying it in these ways with God is just um, something that can take us multiple lifetimes to really absorb the ramifications. But if we can start that path, I think folks are going to be more excited about their faith, more whole and healed through their faith, and uh, those things really, really excite me as a pastor and and as a writer.
2: You know, I'm uh, as I was looking at your uh, manuscript, I was reading Eugene Peterson's the the new biography by Win Collier, and yeah, um, I don't know if you've looked at it yet, Kurt. I mean, I guess it's just out, but I know a lot of yeah. people were sent copies of it. Um, this is what's fascinating to me is I would say Eugene Peterson was an incarnational pastor when you asked hmm. him a question pastoral question he didn't he didn't have an abstract question the way Bonhoeffer said he wasn't a pacifist in a principal way he was mm-hmm. a in a sense a pacifist in second world war Germany with Hitler. And the church and the condition it was in, you know. So it was Hmm. uh, very local, uh, locally framed and locally expressed. And I see Eugene Peterson the same way. He pastored the people that he had. He journeyed with the people in their journeys. He he made. I think he made at one point in his pastoral ministry twenty visits a week to people's homes. Wow. Uh, So he, um, I I could be wrong on that number. I'm going to look at that again when we have the discussion. But um, I would say that Eugene Peterson's pastoral ministry was an incarnational embodiment of, let's say, the theology of incarnation as we seek Mm -hmm. to embody Christ um, with the people that who are trying to embody Christ as well. We join them. As Christ is working with them. Well, at any rate, I hmm. I I thought of that uh, while we while I was looking at your book again today. Now, my last question, this this was uh, this was kind of a highlight in your book for me, but nobody probably knows this. All of a sudden, you <laughs> you launched into peace, peacemaking. Yeah. Okay, tell us about peacemaking in your journey, and why this is important. Uh, for you in your sort of pastoral, incarnational theology and echoing hope.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think comes out, like one of the endorsers who, I, I won't say which endorser, not a pacifist like I, I tend to be, but um one of the comments that was made was like, I think I totally get why this is your view now, you know, and kind of connecting like Oh, a kid experiences child mm-hmm. abuse, you know, all the and and I think back there somewhere, there's probably like a connection. But I didn't know that connection was gonna be there until 20, I think I I became a Christian pacifist in like 2010. I mean it's not a it's not a super uh long conviction that I've had. And so it's uh yeah, it's it's definitely there. But why I think it's important here is it does a couple of things. You know, part of the book I'm really trying to frame out when we look at how Jesus's identity was shaped by God the Father, um, we can then see how we're shaped uh, and how we're beloved and those sorts of things. And the chapter that moves towards the Sermon on the Mount then says, it's kind of a bridge chapter in a sense. I'm kind of trying to say all of that identity inward stuff that we've been talking about, actually has ramifications for how we live virtuously, right? Like it has ramifications in the real world. And so I, in that chapter, I I talk about shame and honor and how it's a little different back there than it was here. But um, ultimately for me, what I find compelling is that this God of empathy that looks like Jesus who shows us the way of being human gets on a hillside and says, Here's the kind of life you could experience, and everything he says, and I, I, never, I did not know this for a long time, but pretty much anything Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount has an inward implication at least, if not an inward, uh, and I, I, I'm gonna use this word, maybe it's not the best word, but command. You know, there, There's a clear sense that when you love your enemy, you have in that moment an inward disposition towards their flourishing, which is love, but love is also an active word, which means you don't hit them, (laughs) you know? So, and and again and again, Jesus is like, like on this whole train of thought that says, the way you are formed inwardly, the way when you wanna pray out in the streets and show everyone how honorable you are because of your life with God, that's not honor. Let me tell you what honor really is. Honor is going into the closet, into the deepest secretive place where you can be intimate and alone and pray. And that that space where you experience God then informs the kind of life you live where you don't need to, you know, let the left and right hand know what they're doing when it comes to giving. You don't need to be the person who's praised in the streets because your identity has been wrapped up in a God of love. So, if that's the case, then you get to this idea of nonviolence in this chapter, and certainly, right, there's a thread of, I, I. at one point in my life, I wanted to beat the living tar out of the guy who beat me up, you know, as a kid. Of course I did. But there's this bigger idea that when you look at Jesus' nonresistance, when you look at his nonviolent posture. What you have in that moment is someone who says, I refuse to let the alienating forces of this world determine what it means for me to assert my own humanity in this moment. That as an image bearer, I don't need to defend the fact that I am, in fact, an image bearer. I have all that I need already. And Jesus was so formed inwardly that he was not going to retaliate. He could have, of course, but he just wasn't going to do it. And so, peace becomes this uh, chance for me to, yeah, say, hey, I think Jesus is all about nonviolence, and here's maybe a spectrum of where people land, and I try to do it in an invitational way. I'm not very overly dogmatic in this book, I don't think, but I also think that it's really just this obvious example that if we're called to be peacemakers, we're called to become people who experience the inward peace that transforms the way we live Mm. outwardly.
2: Yep, that's good. I wanted to hear you Mm. say that. Very good.
0: Well, Kurt, one of the things that I noticed about the book was that at the end of every chapter, you have like a spiritual practice, a spiritual formation practice that you invite the Mm. reader into. And as I was reading through that, I thought, oh, this is really interesting that you are inviting people into moments of prayer, moments of reflection um, that are inviting people to experience uh, the humanity of Christ, to invite Christ into their own experience. Um, so I'd just love to mm. hear a little bit about your thoughts on that, why Why it was important to you to include those parts in your book, because I think that's a very pastoral move, um, to be thinking as you're inviting yeah. people to consider these ideas, to carve out time and space for them to sit with Jesus and reflect on those things. So tell us about that.
1: Hmm. Oh, thank you for asking that. That's like setting up a T-ball <laughs> for me. I love that. Uh, that's good. That's good. So so here, here's where that comes from. So originally, well, let me back up. I have uh, been really informed by spiritual direction, uh, so much so that my spiritual director said, you need to become a spiritual director. So I got trained a couple, over the last couple of years. So that's a big part of this. I've been trained theologically, and I'm a pastor. So those three things come together in this book. And in an earlier draft of this, uh, the one I even sent to like beta readers and stuff, I had a few spiritual practices in random chapters, and I kind of liked how I was doing it where uh, you'd be reading a chapter, be maybe two-thirds through, and then I would say something like, hey, (laughs) stop what you're doing. I know it sounds weird, but reader... Yeah, try this, you know, and I'd actually have a little bit of a practice built in. And my editor came back to me and was like, what if you just did that for all of them? And then what if we just formalized it? And, you know, we started this conversation and it just Mm -hmm. felt so real and natural. And like, here's a way for people who really want to go all in on this book. Like a lot of people are going to just read it. And, you know, I don't know if I was... Not Kurt Willems, who wrote this particular book, and I came to this book. If I would be so disciplined that I would have the the will to move through all 16 of the spiritual formation study experiences, whatever you want to call them at the end of each chapter, like I'm this Enneagram 7 who's like, oh, that was cool. Okay, what's next? You know, so I I get that not everyone's going to do that, but here's a resource where they exist when you're thinking to yourself, I wanna step into this topic with greater intentionality. You know, I wanna know that this human Jesus in a way that shapes my experience of what I've just read in this chapter, you know? And so, I, I love that feature mm-hmm. of the book. I, I don't think it would be as applicable. Um, I think it would be much, much less uh, user-friendly yeah. without him. And so, for me, that's uh, something I'm really thrilled that we added. I mean, at the at the stroke of midnight before the draft was due, kind of thing. Like we, yeah, we got I really love
0: that aspect of it, especially when you're talking about um, God's empathy and that reflection on Jesus's humanity and how it affects our discipleship, because it's an it's an invitation, I think, mm. to sit with Jesus and just a really intimate and personal way. And I thought, Oh, my goodness, as we're reading through these topics, it it just is sort of like this restful moment at the end of every chapter. Um, that I mm. think is, I think, really healing for people as they're reflecting on their pain to have those moments um, to invite Jesus into their reflection. So I thought that was really good. Wow.
1: Wow. Well, Thank Kurt.
0: You. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I think it was a great Easter book. I think that was what Scott said in his foreword, yeah. but just that idea of, of reflecting on the incarnation, on why Jesus came, um, I think hmm. is a beautiful invitation. So uh, Kurt, I thank you for being our guest and for just an opportunity to talk about your book, Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. And I want to thank our listeners for being a part of this conversation. And we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.